You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. We're going to be in Isaiah 7 today, Isaiah 7 verse 14. We're taking two weeks to unpack the glory of Christmas. And we're going to do this with two sections of Old Testament Christmas prophecies that were made 700 years before Christ was born. That is awesome and beautiful in itself. Again, prophecies made 700 years before Christ was born, perfectly fulfilled in him. Our goal today, our prayer today, is that we would be reminded, or maybe here for the first time, of several mind-blowing truths uh, surrounding Christmas. That's our sermon title today, The Mind-Blowing Truths of Christmas. And what we're really trying to do as well is, um, when I get to be on a plane from time to time, I, if I have a choice, I like sitting by the window. I sit by the window for two main reasons. I love the 30,000-foot view, as it's called. You get up way high, you get to see the land, maybe you know well on the ground, but you get up way in the sky and you look out and you're like, wow, I just love looking across the landscape and your perspective completely changes. Often life, we can get so narrow-minded or we're looking, you know, gazing at our navels, whatever it is, and all we see is this little tiny speck. You get up and you look and you're like, wow, this world's a lot bigger than I thought. We're hoping to do that today. The second reason I love to sit again by a window is often like days like today, where you take off, weather's crummy, overcast, whatever it is, and you forget as you go up through the clouds and you get above the clouds and you're like, oh yeah, the sun's still shining. And so you rise above there and again, the sun is shining. And this is what we hope to do today um, as well. We want to get a big picture surrounding Christmas Uh, in light of our awesome God, and to see in a fresh vision the beautiful Son, the beautiful Son of God in this case. All right, so Isaiah 7, verse 14. Let me just read our passage for us. We'll explain some context, and we will jump in. It says this, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. So often in Old Testament prophecies, there's multiple layers of fulfillment. There's a present day fulfillment and there's a future fulfillment. That is true in the case of Isaiah 7 verse 14. This promise was first made to directly in the context of King Ahaz. King Ahaz was fearful that the royal line of Judah would be destroyed. And what would happen with him is he would fail, as every other human leader does, but God would not fail. God's promises, and his promises include that his royal line will never be destroyed. This is what's happening in Isaiah 7, verse 14. The question we have, as God promises he will give a sign, his royal line will never be destroyed, we ask, well, how will that happen? Uh, How is this possible? What will God do to ensure that his royal line will never be destroyed? And this is where we see the power of Christmas. Isaiah 7.14 is recited precisely in Matthew 1 verse 23. Matthew's gospel confirms the ultimate fulfillment of Isaiah 7 verse 14 is in the life of Jesus Christ coming as the Son of God. Luke 1 also, again, we'll see this in a second, Luke 1 also references this promise as well. So we gain the big picture from Isaiah 7:14 and here in this one verse let's unpack seven or sorry three mind-blowing truths regarding Christmas. Number 1 is this. 
From this verse, we see this. We see God's absolute sovereignty at Christmas. We see God's absolute sovereignty at Christmas. You look at verse 14 again in Isaiah 7. Therefore, notice, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Now right there, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Notice from this one phrase, notice who is in control. Notice the one who is orchestrating the timing of world-changing events. The Lord himself will give you a sign. Notice what we learn about our awesome God here as well. The Lord himself will act. The Lord himself will intervene. The Lord himself will engage. The Lord himself, and we know from Christmas, will give himself or give his son to us. God himself will come. Notice how much God cares. Notice how much God acts. Notice how much God intervenes. And that is Christmas. That is the power of Christmas. Our world doesn't get it, man. The Bible does. God says, I will give you a sign, and that sign will be my own son. The power of the love and the power of God working again in history at Christmas. Galatians 4 verse 4 on the screen for you says this. When the fullness of time had come, notice, God sent forth his son. So God is precisely and exactly in control of all things. Learn this about God. God is never late. God is never haphazard. Christmas took place under the absolute sovereignty of Almighty God. Consider, too, the truth of Christmas. In Christmas, we learn this, that God wields an entire empire so that Mary and Joseph will arrive at Bethlehem at the perfect time. It's the Lord who sovereignly works through Caesar Augustus to command a census. And here is God working through the most powerful man on earth. You could say at that time, the Roman emperor, he creates upheaval. All these people moving around. God does this. Why? To make sure that God's prophetic timetable is in place. It's amazing truth. It's astounding. It's awesome. The Lord is sovereign. Caesar Augustus, by the way, is, again, so powerful but fully ignorant of God and of Scripture. Yet he is a chess piece in the hand of our wonderful and sovereign God. Why? To accomplish the eternal plan of God that results in the glory of God. By way of insight too, the census was given for taxation purposes, which of course the Jewish people hated. They hated the intrusion into their lives and all the inconvenience and the taxes they had to pay and the loss again of certain finances. But notice this at Christmas what the Jewish people hated, God was using to bring about the arrival of the Son of God to change the world forever. So two applications here, even from this insight we have in the census and what's happening at Christmas time. Notice, number one, notice this. World leaders will be used as pawns in God's hands and they often will not even have a clue. World leaders will be used as pawns in the hands of God and they will often have no idea that is happening. So church, world events, even right now, world events often confuse us and world events often scare us, okay? Let's make sure we know world events do not confuse God and they do not scare God at all. Can I get an amen, all right? He is absolutely sovereign and in control. We bite our nails, God doesn't. 
okay? We pace around anxiously, God doesn't. We lose sleep at night, God doesn't have to sleep at night. That's how awesome he is. We get overwhelmed with stress and worry and anxiety. We get gray hairs. Our God is never, ever worried, ever, because our God is in control. Our God is perfect. Our God is awesome. Our God is glory. Our God is infinite and strong and holy and amazing and without error. He is never, ever, ever scared of anything ever. He says, now's the time for Christmas, and pretty soon, now's the time for my son to return, and we can't wait. It's going to be great. This is who he is, and this is what he does, and Christmas shows us that. Be so encouraged by Christmas. Get so far past Santa Claus, would you? Get so far past him. Leave him in the dust, and look at Jesus Christ and his glory and how awesome he is. The second thing we learned about this, too, is sometimes the very things we despise in our world could be part of God orchestrating his eternal plan and working out in his infinite wisdom. Like in our context, how many Jews despised the very census that would bring about the Son of God, again, coming to earth to save the world? That's an important truth for us as well. Like when I read certain scriptures and how the Bible is, again, so often so clear, at times, when I read like passage like, like, like Romans 1, we look at our world, what's happening and the evil and the chaos and the insanity and all this going on, and it's so discouraging on one level. It is. I feel that myself. Romans 1, though, says, and it's promising and predicting and saying because of the sinfulness and the hard-heartedness of humanity, God says it's going to get worse. And God says, I'm going to give them up in their sin. I'm going to give them up to a debased mind. God is promising us it gets worse before it gets better. God promises us they're going to start calling good evil and, again, calling evil good. And they're going to approve of things which God says are detestable. God says this is going to happen, so should we be surprised when it does? Or should we be understanding that God says this is the way it's going to go? 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, powerful passage as well. God predicts in the spirit and the man of lawlessness, so the times of lawlessness and evil, 2 Thessalonians 2 says that because people refused, it says, refused to love the truth, and they love their sin, God says, I will give them a strong delusion. I will give them a strong delusion. They will live for what is false. You look it up yourself, 2 Thessalonians 2, powerful stuff. Again, I read that, and I'm like, the very events we're seeing in this world is all part in somehow in some way God's infinite sovereign plan to bring about again in the end the full restoration of the world and the redemption, uh, full red redemption of his people and those who love him and honor him. It's just amazing. Sometimes the very things that we despise so much, again, and it's not that we shouldn't. It's not that we shouldn't grieve, but to also be aware, again, God is working all the time wasting nothing. And he is the one who's in charge, not us. It brings us faith. It encourages us because the same people felt the same thing around the first Christmas when all that was happening. The sovereignty of God is so beautiful and so powerful. How about at Christmas or around Christmas time, the magi, the wise men, and the star? I mean, just think about that. John Piper says that God exerts global and universal power to guide foreigners to worship Christ, right? Like, like the Lord takes a star and moves it around, and the Magi follow that star. He is exercising global, universal power to arrange for Magi to worship his son, Jesus Christ, because our God does whatever he wants. He's awesome. He's in control of all things. He's the maker of the heavens and the earth. 
Not to mention around Christmas time, God says an angel to Zechariah to announce the birth of John the Baptist. He allows Elizabeth in old age to become pregnant, fulfilling that promise. God sends an angel to Mary to let her know again about the virgin birth that's going to take place. God sends an angel in his dream to let Joseph know exactly what's happening, that he might stay with Mary. And God sends an angel, angels to the shepherds to announce the glorious birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who's in charge? God's in charge. Who's timing God's timing? Who's way God's ways? He's not worried. He's not concerned. Neither should we. The astounding truth of Christmas, we learn our God is awesome, awesome, and sovereign, and glory, and power, and wisdom. And when the Lord sends his son, Jesus Christ, he began the three most important decades in human history ever. The world would never be the same again, precisely as he determined, precisely as he planned, because, again, of his love and mercy and grace towards the world. You let Christmas time be a reinforcing of how awesome your God is and how much he is in control. Again, get past the world and eyes up on the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Father, and the power of the Holy Spirit. We see God's absolute sovereignty at Christmas. I hope you're encouraged, church. I hope you're encouraged. Number two, number two, we see God's wondrous power. At Christmas time. So Isaiah 7:14 back there says this: Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Notice, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Okay? So this prophecy was exactly again authenticated by the angel who appeared to Joseph. I'm gonna turn to Matthew chapter 1. If you want to turn there with me, you can. I will read it for you, but I want you to listen attentively again to the fulfillment of this prophecy when the angel and the situation of Joseph and Mary. Matthew 1 verse 18, listen carefully. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place this way. I love the clarity. Matthew 1 18, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, notice the clarity, before they knew each other, before they were sexually again together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man, he was a, he was a good man. He was a righteous man. He found this out, and he's like, well, obviously this isn't good. And in his eyes, of course, she must have been with another man then. Her husband, Joseph, being a just man, unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. What a godly man. Verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as, as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Our passage today, quote, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. Look how clear the Bible is. And he called his name Jesus. Yes, Jesus is right. Now consider the wonder of the virgin birth, okay? Consider the wonder. This was an act of the Holy Spirit never to be repeated again. Not in this way. This miraculous conception within a virgin of the Holy Spirit. Why was this so necessary? We really read about it today in our catechism between the worship songs here. In God's infinite wisdom, the, the conception by the Holy Spirit with the Virgin Mary ensured the deity of Christ and allowed for the humanity of Christ to be added to Jesus. Because if Jesus Christ, listen carefully, if Jesus Christ was not fully God and fully man, there's no gospel, we have no hope. 
both must be fully true. Only God again can make the perfect sacrifice. Jesus being fully man must be to represent humanity as that sacrifice, thereby paying for our sins. It was the angel Gabriel that announced to Mary in Luke 1 on the screen for you. He said, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Which, by the way, this is a Greek translation of Isaiah 7, verse 14. Mary hears this astounding, amazing truth, and she asks a very fair question in Luke's gospel. She says, How will this be if I have never been with a man? That's a fair question. How will this be if I am a virgin? Not an expression of doubt. It's actually an expression of faith. But she wanted to know how. I believe. Tell me how. How will this happen? The angel Gabriel responded, there will be a miraculous conception. It will be of the Holy Spirit. Again, why is this so key? It's of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, the seed of sinful man would not be used and thereby passed down into the life of Jesus. It would be of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, no sin would stain Jesus. And this is the explanation of Gabriel. He says, the power, listen to this, the power of the Most High will overshadow you, Mary. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy. And then he says this, he says, will be called the Son of God. The word overshadowed there in Luke 1 is important. It was the same word used to apply to the presence of God and the holy of holies in the temple. So think about that in some form, in some way then. And this has always blown my mind, man. It's so awesome. Christmas is astounding. So in some form, in some way, the womb of Mary would become a holy of holies. When you have the Shekinah glory of God in the temple and in the Holy of Holies, and then through the, or the tabernacle, and then in the temple. Jesus Christ, and, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, tabernacled among us. We've seen his glory, the Shekinah glory of God. Jesus Christ is. He's the true temple. He's the perfect presence of God. And God condescends, and his son comes down to earth. So in some form, in some way, God allows himself to enter, to be conceived in this womb of this 13-year-old peasant Jewish woman, girl, and her womb becomes a holy of holies containing the very presence, Shekinah glory of God himself in her womb. And that just hurts my brain. That is so awesome. Amazing to think about. Ponder it, man. Just try to wrestle that down. Again, the eternal son of God there, again, choosing to become flesh in the womb of this 13-year-old, again, peasant Jewish woman, the holy of holies that is there in that sense, just awesome and glorious and wonderful. And so necessary because the sinlessness of Jesus Christ is preserved and the sinlessness of Jesus is everything. Because God demands a perfect sacrifice for our sins and therefore only a sinless Savior could die for a sinful people like me and you. I want to be clear, like the wondrous power of the virgin birth and the wondrous power at Christmas, it's just, again, it's mind-blowing. This side of heaven will never be able to fully explain the mystery of the incarnation. Like, we can't do that, humanly speaking. It's beyond us to fully understand and fully grasp. Here's what J.I. Packer said, wonderful theologian. He said this, here are two mysteries for the price of one. The first one is the plurality of persons in the Trinity, in the unity of God. Uh, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, three persons. Try to explain that fully. There's no illustration. Four-leaf clover or three-leaf clover story to break 
doesn't work, doesn't work, you know, water, ice, vapor, whatever, doesn't work, any illustration. Ultimately, we can't fully explain it. He says, here's the other one, and the union of Godhead and manhood in the person of Jesus Christ. It is here, he says, in the thing that happened at the first Christmas, that the profoundest and most unfathomable depths of the Christian revelation lie. Just sit on that for a second. There's a mystery in here. That's okay. That's okay. Hey, hey, can't fully explain it. Can worship him for it. Can't fully articulate it in its exact fullness. But man, we can sit back and we can glory that God is God and we are not. The mystery and the majesty of God in his working at Christmas. Again, it should be, we got, we got to move on from the things of the earth. we got to move on from all the trivial distractions. we got to let our minds go up and get our eyes up and get our hearts up to the things of Jesus Christ. He's so glorious and so awesome and so profound and so powerful and so sovereign and so good and so beautiful. We see his absolute sovereignty, his wondrous power at Christmas. And thirdly, we see this, we see God's astonishing love at Christmas. So Isaiah 7, verse 14. Isaiah 7, again, verse 14. It says, The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And the reason his name is Emmanuel, Matthew 1 says it, explicitly explains it, because that name means God with us. Now that's a mind-blowing truth. I just pray we have the ability to sit a little stiller than normal, maybe. Just consider that. God is choosing to dwell with us at Christmas that he might become one of us. But even more, why he became one of us. Like, like, like why did he become? Think, think. How would you answer that? Why did he become one of us? Well, the answer is that he might die for us. That's why he came. He became one of us to die for us. And why would he die for us? The answer to that is in one awesome, life-changing word. The ultimate reason he came and died was because of love. He died for us because he loved us. See, John 3.16 is Christmas. For God so loved the world... He gave. Christmas is about God giving his only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish or die, have everlasting life. For God so loved, he gave. That's why Christ came. He became man to dwell with us, to die for us, because he loves us. The whole heart, the whole point of Christmas is love. Listen, make it personal. Love for you. Maybe you're here today. Maybe you're visiting. Maybe you came here and you got a little bit of a bad attitude. Maybe your attitude's amazing. I don't know. I'm so glad you're here. But you're here to hear this. That Christmas is about God's love for you. For me. But make it personal. For you. He loved you so much. He sent his son to die for your sins and my sins. That if we believe in him and receive the gift of him, we will never die ever. Like all these testimonies today, so awesome to hear all these testimonies testifying that only Jesus Christ can save them and give them purpose and life and heal them and forgive them of sins that they now know everlasting life, never to be the same again. He became one of us, listen, and died for us because he loves you. Because he loves. Each Advent season, it's so important to try to be still 
and with all the busyness and all the things going on, and there's a few quotes that I just, I love to read to renew my mind as to the astonishing nature of the incarnation, God taking on flesh. Here's one from Augustine, which I, I love so much. He says this, he says, I try to read this every year. He says, man's maker was made man. Think about that. That he, ruler of the stars, blows my mind, might nurse at his mother's breast. I mean, that the bread might hunger. The fountain, thirst. The light, sleep. The way, be tired. The truth, be accused of false witness. The teacher, be beaten with whips. The foundation, be hung on a cross. That strength might grow weak. That the healer might be wounded. And then this, that ultimately, this is Christmas, that the life might die. I mean, that's worth sitting on for a few minutes and contemplating. The power of the incarnation and then the result, though, of all of this is the love that God has for us. So, this Christmas, let's, let's try our especially between now and next Monday or now and next Sunday. Let's go a little deeper this Christmas than Home Alone, Eggnog, and Jingle Bells. Can we do that? No, like, I mean, I, I, I implore you, go deeper. Go deeper than those things. Some of those things, you know, fun, it's fine, whatever, but it's not, it's not life. Like, please, please, can we feed on something more this week than turkey stuffing and candy cane ice cream, right? All fine, all fine. But let's do more than that. Let's feed on the bread of life. Let's drink from the fountain of life. Jesus Christ in his glory. Jesus Christ everything. Jesus Christ awesome. Jesus Christ purpose and meaning and power and love. Again, understanding. Let's make Christmas personal. Man, get through all the clutter and then put the stuff to the side. Let's make it personal. The reason God gave a sign. The reason for the virgin birth. The reason God came down. The reason was love. It was love. Love for you. The sole purpose of his birth was ultimately his death. See, Good Friday is the reason for Christmas. Good Friday is the reason for Christmas. That's why, that's why he came. So here's a very familiar Christmas carol that we should all know. Have it memorized. Notice, notice. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. That's, that's amazing. It's amazing. Listen up, listen up. The king is here. We sing. It's so good. The king has arrived and the world has changed. God on earth is so, so great. And the celebration, the joy, and the light. He came to bring peace on earth and, and, and to extend his mercy. But this last line here in the same verse we know so well. God and sinners reconciled. Wait, wait, time out, time out, time out. The king is here. That's amazing. But God and sinners reconciled. Well, that's, that's not possible. That's not possible Unless the king who came dies. The only way we're reconciled to God is if our sin is paid for. And I can't pay for my sin, and you can't pay for yours, and I can't pay for yours, and you can't pay for mine. We need the king who's sinless, God himself, to die. So wait a second. God and sinners reconciled means this amazing good news ends tragically with the death of the one who came as king that we might be saved and be reconciled to God. But then they go, why would this happen? 
how is any of these truth and verses possible? Well, here's how it happened right here. Here's how it happened. It's because of the love of God. All of this is God's love. Astonishing, life-changing, earth-shattering love. For every person who sees the child as not just a child, but the son of God, understands he came to bring peace and mercy through his death on the cross. This is where the reconciliation, no longer being enemies of God, but reconciled back to God because he loves. Because he loves so much. The power of Christmas and the astonishing love at Christmas. Listen, God is with us because no one else can save us. That's the heart of Christmas. So what do we do with this this Christmas? By way of application, I wrote down a couple of things. What do we do with this outline today? Here's what I'm trying to do. I want to do so much. Praise him for his absolute sovereignty. Praise him he's in control. Praise him that he cannot lose. Praise him that he is awesome. Listen, love him for his wondrous power. I mean, just meditate on the truths that we're unpacking in just a few minutes right now and go through it. And the virgin birth and the timing of God, the sovereignty of God, the glory of God, the power of God, the life-changing love of God. I mean, love him for this and thank him for his astonishing love. You might get some gifts this Christmas. Nothing compares to the gift found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Man, praise him, love him, thank him for his astonishing Love. Nothing greater, no one better. Jesus Christ. So one of the ways I try to live this out right here is I, I, I literally, on a list of mine, I put down on a list of things I need to do around Christmas time. I literally put down on, on, on this list, I need to sit down. I need to get my Christmas worship playlist. I need to sit in front of, very, in front of a very loud speaker. And I'm going to play like worshipful Christmas, beautiful, glorifying God songs that mean so much to me. I'm going to sit down and I'm going to press play and I'm going to turn the volume up. And if some of my family members walk in, that's their problem, right? They can do with it what they will. But I'm going to be there and I took a portion of my day off this past week and I just sat down and I began to allow my heart and just the world starts to go silent. And the glory of Christ, it's interesting, yeah, I sit there, and like the first couple of songs, my heart was like, mm, like not, you know. And then all of a sudden, you give the Lord a little bit of time, and you don't rush off, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, my heart begins to be filled with the fear of God. My eyes fill with tears and the brokenness surrounding God, and my heart is overwhelmed again with the presence of God. And you're there, and the worship that comes, and it's just like, man, you're in that moment, and you're seeing the Lord Jesus Christ, and you understand his glory and the truth that he is and all that he is. All of a sudden, man, the world, all of a sudden the world, it's just nothing. It's nothing. It's nothing. The presents are going to come in a couple of days, but in the end, right, they're nothing. Have you figured that out yet? You figure that out? You get it, you're happy for a couple of moments, and then it's gone. It's gone. But Jesus Christ, the gift that keeps on giving, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the glory of God, Jesus Christ is so awesome. And you're looking at him, you're like, you are satisfaction. You are love. You are purpose. You are life. You are everything. You are the light of the world. You are the one who saved me from my sin. And you are the one that I long for to return, that I might bow my knee and confess with my tongue that you alone, Jesus Christ, are Lord. You are Christmas. You are awesome. You you are glory. You are everything I live for. And to be filled with that reality, man, the world has no idea. But this is who Jesus is. And this is why he came. And this is what he longs for you and for me. Now, at this time, in this place, in this church, with our family. More of Jesus, less of us. Amen, church? Amen. Yes, Jesus. 
We get gifts, we get gifts, and they're fine and fun. I got some even last night. You got some gifts, they're fine and fun. You unwrap Jesus Christ, he's life and love. Life and love, life eternal, love again in him, unconditional, amazing and incredible. What's your Christmas going to be like this year? Man, make it Jesus, Jesus. Make your Christmas Jesus this year. And again, that's when, that's when life doesn't get easier. It just gets so much better. Man, may this church love Jesus Christ. God help us. More life change, more glory to God, more filled with awe at who he really is. Christmas is awesome, amen, church? Christmas is awesome. Let's live it. Let's live it this week. Let's pray. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, you are awesome. We love you. We love you. We love you. We love you. There's none like you, not even close. Lord, I want to love you more. I want more of my life to be lived for you and your glory alone. And I long for brothers and sisters. I long for my family, my fellow leaders, my church family to be so in awe of Christ. The astounding reality of what you did in your sovereignty, in your power, in your love. Christmas, man, Christmas is so much more than the ridiculous we see around us every day. Christmas changed the world forever. And so we worship you. And I pray many, many, many of us, Lord, filled with an expectancy, a prayer, and a devotion to Jesus Christ, the Son of God, taking on flesh to die in love that we might live. We pray this in Jesus' name.